Happy New Year! Welcome back to Broken City Studios. My name's Gannon. My name's Adam. This is Adam. Alright, so what we got? Yeah, we got some questions here. Ethan Edge Ireland. I like this guy. He, he, asked, he asked a great question last time, too. So, creation process, period. Where does each piece come from, and how do you figure out what you want it to feel like and mean? You're going to get very different answers from us, yeah. I think. So, go ahead. Well, for me, it's like, usually if I'm, with creation, I, I, try, I try to start with inspiration. Like, is it a sound that sets me off? Is it a, is it a title, or is it a, mm. a lick? Is it a riff? And I, I try to go from an emotional standpoint of how it feels first, and that sets me off. I can't, if I sit down and try to contrive that feeling, then the day is usually a waste because I'll try the whole day to make that into something. Yeah. That's okay because you, sometimes you learn things from that experience too. And it's good to try things, you know. But I think true inspiration usually happens like you'll, you'll have a spark of an idea and then that tends to... It's almost like you get in a trance. It's yeah. like I feel like I'm in a trance and I just sort of like create something. And after four hours, I'm like looking at it going, whoa, that was cool. It's like, it's like you almost can't explain it because it's just happening. You know, you're in that moment. And I think if you second guess your moment too, I see a lot of guys do this, where they second guess the initial inspiration because they're so worried that other people are going to judge it a certain way or it's not hooky enough or whatever the thing is that people are worried about at that time. Depending on the kind of music you're making. If you're making music for yourself, you don't have those same kind of restrictions or pressures. You might have the pressure of like your own self, of like what, the way you edit, the way you make music, you know. Yeah. But... So one of the things I, I grabbed onto right when you started answering was like, you're talking about like a, the flow state. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to get into that place where you're unaware of yourself. Yes. You're not second guessing everything you do. And usually, I guess, something sparks that and mm -hmm. then you go after it and then you disappear into it. Yes. Is that usually That's like, the best stuff for you, for me, is that like a, what does that tend to be? Okay, let's say... I, I kind of already know the answer to this, yeah. knowing you, but... Yeah. Well, for instance, I was working on Logic yesterday, and I was, like, doing a program. I was doing a... I had these sounds set up, and I was kind of running through sounds, and one really hit me, and I was like, that's cool. And I started playing some chords, and all of a sudden, I was off and running, just from the sound of what it was. So what in that... I know this probably changes every time, but in that instance, did the sound remind you of something? Did it appeal to you on a gut level? Were you like, ooh, that's been what I've been looking for? What what about the sound hit you? What, was it something like intellect-wise? Was it emotional? Was it? It was emotional, but it was also what excited me about it is I made me play a different set of chord changes that I wouldn't normally go to. Were you aware of what that why that was? I think just the way it sounded when I hit those chords was really inspirational, and like I hit. Oh, they yeah. were, and the funny thing is, the sound was designed that whatever you thought you were playing wasn't the actual chord changes. You know what I mean? Like there was a fifth in it or something. Oh, okay. There was like some interesting notes in it. So when I hit the chord and then relearned it on bass, I realized I was in a different key. I love stuff like that because that, because I know a lot of chords and stuff because I studied jazz and stuff. So I had the, the tendency of going head and going, okay, if I do these chords, it'll sound like... Yeah. That's my least favorite way to write, knowing what something's going to sound like. Yeah. Surprises is my favorite. That's like, like you, uh, the equivalent of... of tuning your guitar to some random yeah. tuning and then getting you know the neck so now the neck is new right yeah I love that I love that you can do that in music that you can have some sort of inspirational moment of like you're hearing a chord and it makes you do something and then the rest of it kind of spins off from there you know that's really cool man I used to look at when I you know starting out as a drummer I used to look at like the drummers that used to like there's a few guys like Gary Husband put their toms kind of backwards yeah instead of from high to low it would be like an 8 inch tom here and a 13 inch here and like 
and I, I used to look at it and just go like, like, used to, like <laughs> why are you me doing out. that? Yeah, and which is it's almost embarrassing to know to to look back and that I thought that way. Right. I think it's freaking awesome. It's a yeah. I get it at the time though. You were just you weren't thinking that way. You're yeah, like, I, I kind of felt like no. It's like you do you. S- <laughs> we're all setting up like it's like a piano. Like yeah. you don't switch around the piano. What the hell are you doing? But it's it's totally a great way to to sort of throw yourself off the track. Yeah. It's like when you go to play, you know, a certain because you get stuck in these shapes and yeah. stuff on Box, certain especially instruments. Especially guitar, and even on piano, you get stuck in boxes. Yeah, and you're like, okay, I I tend to lead with my right hand, which means I'm gonna go around the drums yep. and whatever. And if you switch it up. It felt. I think it felt kind of like cheating to me, like mm-hmm. a cheating way to play something normal and have it sound abnormal. Yeah, but that's just layer one. I mean, what you, it just changes the way you see the drums. Yeah, and if you're think. a visual person, yeah, you're going to think differently, and you're going to have to be aware that now that's not a lower tom than the first one. Right. So it definitely affects your playing and the way you'll attack a tom or how you use it. Yeah, but it was cool that that. What it did is it took you, took you out of your like you said out of your head, yeah, away from your technique. It surprised you. Now you had to like, now you had to sort of think more like a composer and less like a, a, a master of your craft. Yeah, like it was less less math. Yeah, less craft, more yeah. art, I guess. Yeah, you're trying. You're going from the gut, and then the melody was the same way because the melody I felt something when I sang. I was like, okay, cool. I'm actually in a moment here. So cool, man. Like those are. It's hard to always get in that state. And that's why you know I write a lot because I want to find that state. It's like improvising. Yep. If you improvise every night, there are going to be nights where you don't do new stuff. You're going to be like falling into patterns and things like that. But there are the nights where you don't fall into the pattern, where something magical happens, and you're always searching for that. Yep. Yeah, I was re- I was writing about this recently about the difference between the past, the present, and the future. Mm-hmm sounds like a, such a simple thing but like the easiest place to be is in the past whether it's like half a second ago five minutes ago whatever mm-hmm. and then the future is is more of a you know an imagine imaginary state mm-hmm. and it's all about expectations and um there's certain and being actually in the present is something that you know things like prayer and meditation they they they're aimed at getting into the present because mm-hmm. the present is really it's the only place that anything ever happens is in the present right so like if you're focused and it can feel like you're in the present when you're actually just just slightly in the past because mm-hmm. you're everything that happens when when it becomes a thought it's it's a memory now right so being in the present there's like to truly be in the present is to have no part of yourself in the past or in the future right so you're unaware of yourself and that's that flow state that's like the definition of flow state is to be unaware of of what you've done and what you're about to do Mm -hmm. so in order to get there you have to have your technique has to be second nature yep you have to have the tools for sure you have to have the tools in in muscle memory and in and soul memory like when it's time to be in the present you don't have time to be practicing you don't have time to be second guessing you don't have time to be, you know, concerned about about your choices. You know, like that's why being in the present is very much a performance state of mind. Mm-hmm. In order to be composing in the present, you have to either be in a state 
of flow where you're working in a way where there's time to somehow document it. That's mm -hmm. why like both of us love to just turn on the recorder on our phone mm -hmm. as we're writing, even even in a collaborative thing. And yeah. like it's all about like, oh, what did I just do? Rerolling, yeah. you know, yeah, like yeah. that happens all the time. The moment, yeah. Did you capture that? Yeah, yeah. And if somebody didn't, it's like ah, it's gone. Because <laughs> really, you're trying to get into that flow state, and when, when you're with another person, yeah, it's super hard to get there. Yeah. Because you have the the interactions between people to deal with. Right. You're like, you get there for like a half a second, mm -hmm. and then you're like, what do you think of that? Right. But a great collaboration is when you can kind of, you're so comfortable with the person, just like being second nature with your techniques, you're second nature with the person. So you're not worried about right. being polite, or you're not worried about being overly concerned with what that person thinks of your ideas. Right. So you're not like, kind of afraid to, to let loose and right. you know, usually when you're in Fear that flow is a big state part of writing collaborations it, it totally paralyzing. is let me turn off the AC it's kind of loud I don't know you guys don't know this but it's raining really hard which is awesome just yes. a little side note for our podcast yeah talk about the weather El Nino has made it El Nino <laughs> anyway that you were saying the negative things that happen when you focus on the future tend to be anxiety you know, you get you can be paralyzed by it. Mm -hmm. um, the positives are, of course, like you're planning ahead, and so you're you're preparing for things. Right. When it comes to the past, <clears throat> the negatives tend to be like things like regret or guilt or um, depression, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, and in the present is where everything is. So that's when you feel the most alive. It's when you're not questioning yourself, and if you can focus on that the edge of time in that way almost like you're stretching to reach for something it kind of focuses all your energy on that task mm -hmm. and that's kind of where you want to be right and a lot of the best singers re you really feel like they're so in the moment mm -hmm. there's no part of their psyche that's focused on like oh was that in tune or right. what they're not worried no they're just so focused yeah it's no yeah. fear but there's one more piece to that question that I wanted to touch on too where does each piece come from and how do you figure out how you want it to feel like and mean you touched on this a little bit but but I wanted to dive into that part because it's like, for me personally, as like an artist-songwriter, it happens always, and I think it's being open to it happening always, and there's no rules to it mm -hmm. is good, and I think you find, you find the way that works for you more often than not just by kind of allowing the creative process to sort of happen to you mm -hmm. and realize that it can come from anywhere. There are times when I'm you know, going through something in life and I deal with it through songwriting so I'm like what? Ah, there's all this stuff that I want to say about this and there's a feeling I want to get out and I want to see those thoughts and those feelings or hear those thoughts and those feelings kind of coming back at me it's like a, that's like the therapeutic relationship sure yeah that I have with music so it's a way for me to like deal with things that I can't quite express any other way yeah only with music yeah and when that happens man like it's a it's a weird relationship to have to your own work but it's it is really like you listen back to the music and you're like, yeah, that, I really did feel that. That really was going... Th it's like validating in some weird way. Sure, yeah. It's comforting. Um, it's real. Yeah. Another way is that there's something... There's that almost excited feeling like there's something going on in there mm -hmm. and you discover what yeah. it is. And that can happen during the process. It can happen after the process. Sure. I think with songwriting for me, it tends to happen during the process... Because, you know, there's lyrics, you right. know, so like when you're in that form, the, you know, singer-songwriter form, it's something that I play with where I'll, I'll put a fog over the lyrics 
where you have to dig into them because I want the music to be the focus or Mm -hmm. I want the melody to be the focus. Yeah. So playing with that, how direct you are musically and how direct you are lyrically and melodically is, is those are the cool layers of songwriting Mm -hmm. you get to, you get to play with, you know, like, um, one of the examples I think of a lot is, is Tom York and Radiohead. He's not accidentally not enunciating what he's singing. It's a tool he's using to be an instrument, mm-hmm. you know, like in his ly- he's a good lyricist. And yeah. He's not just playing around and throwing down meaningless crap, like, but he doesn't want it to be like, here is what I'm saying, right. you know, like, he wants you to sort of lean in right. and maybe not hear what he's saying or not know. Yeah, decode it, figure it out on your own, you know? Yeah, it's, they want the listener, they, I think I can speak for myself is that there are times when I want the listener to be lost in get in a flow state also. Like, mm-hmm. so you're, you're kind of guiding them on this journey of, of this artistic journey where you're, you're, you're guiding their experience with your, with what you're creating. Mm-hmm. And to get them where you're at, sometimes that means you blur the lines and you want them to, to not be thinking words. Cause thinking words is you're in your frontal cortex. You're in a different part of your brain. Right. And music is in a in a more primitive part of the brain. It's like the, this emotional side. Mm-hmm. That's why songs are so interesting because they yeah. they appeal to your your frontal cortex and they appeal to that that primal lizard brain part. And you get both of those things juxtaposing each other, mm-hmm. and you you create this really dynamic experience. Like you can listen to a song and focus on the lyrics, and you can listen to that same song and focus on the music and have a totally different experience. Yeah. And when you put both of those experiences together, and the listeners kind of like jaw like it's like a tennis match mm-hmm. you're going between the feeling of the music and what it's about and I love when there's a real you know um, inner inner relationship between those two things and playing with that and yeah. it's that's why you can be a songwriter your whole life man it's just yeah, it's, it's always, an endless you always world. have things to talk about there's always things to talk <laughs> about there's always dif- a different way to say it and there's you know, who's a kind of a master of what you're talking about like that sort of blend of of well, like Neil Young, I think of him. Like he's mm-hmm. a master, of like saying something, but it's not. You're not focusing on exactly what he's saying. Yeah. But you're still getting something from it. Totally. It's like he does exactly what you're talking about. Where it's like you get sort of this vague idea of what he's talking about. Yeah. But there's some meaning behind it that you're gathering as you hear it. You know. Yeah, that that's the art of it. There's the. Um, it's almost like in photography when you're using like a, a low f stop. So you use that, that focal depth with your lyrics. You know. Neil Young, sometimes he'll bring a word into focus or a, a line into focus. You'll be like, I know exactly what that means. And he wants the rest of the lines to be out of focus. Yeah, I love and He that. wants you to focus yeah. in on the music. It's like playing with depth perception in an, in an understanding sense. Yeah, I guess with lyrics, you don't want to... It'd be kind of boring to hear a song that you understood everything that somebody said. Yeah, and sometimes, but sometimes you need it. Sometimes yeah. it's, that's punk rock or sometimes yeah, that's... That's true. I remember I Billy it's Joel... The, it's, the, it's the style, I guess, huh? Somebody said that to Billy, I forget who it was, but Billy Joel was frustrated with his own writing style. I remember him saying, like, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't write metaphorically. It just doesn't work for me. Like, mm-hmm. He's like, he says what it is, and that's very, it's kind of in his East Coast sort yeah. of, like, way. Is that, like, he says what he's thinking, and he's direct about it. It's like New York State of Mind, like, yeah. he's about, you know, stuff, mm-hmm. things, events. <laughs> it's and, and, true. And you like, always know what a Billy Joel song's about. Yeah, and then you have like you know somebody like Sting, who's 
very metaphor. Very metaphoric and very like, you know, it's a big enough umbrella, but it's always me that ends up getting wet. It's like he didn't mean that literally. Right. You know. It's, it's a great line though. It's a great line. Yeah, he puts it. He in likes to use it in every song. song. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was just actually talking to Mike today about. Um, I'm finishing up my record and and I put the title of one song as a lyric in the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that was like. I did it because I fell upon the meaning of it, but then I was like, oh, that's that's something Stig did. Yeah, yeah. So, taking some more questions. Let's see here. Next question we got. This is from Dario Prieto Asorno. Hopefully I was saying that your name right. How do you play your songs on drums? Do you think about it, or do you play different rhythms, and after that you choose one of them? Songs like Turn the Key, 1621, Would Be a Loser, and more. So this is about kind of some of my solo records. This happens all sorts of ways. Uh, I can't think of a way that I haven't tried or done it. You know, one of the ways I do it the most, I think, with my songs is I write the song. <clears throat> Usually I'll write, like, at the minimum, the verse and chorus, mm -hmm. or a little more than that. And then since I'm sitting here in the studio writing, I'll, I want to start hearing or creating the sonic landscape and sort of producing as we go. That's what we do together sure, a lot yeah. too. And being a drummer, like I tend to think of drums really early in the process. So I'll kind of organically as I'm writing know what groove I'll want or whether or not I want drums and how mm -hmm. I want the drums to sound and stuff. So and in those kind of cases I'll often go in so this is probably the main way I do it, is I'll go in and I'll have the song in my head and I'll do a full drum take playing the song in my head and just to a click track. So I won't lay down any scratch things or anything. Like I want that kind of mental connection to what I'm doing. I don't want to play to any fake tracks that aren't going to be there later or whatever. Like yeah. I kind of just, I don't like that for some reason. <laughs> I like to just hear it in my head. So I'm always kind of amazed at how much you memorize of a song, like even when it's new. You just go in there and you start recording, and it's like you know where all the sections are, and all the, you know, like all the turnarounds and stuff like that. You have a good memory for that. Yeah, I love doing it. I mean, part of that is from how how much I've done this. You know, just yeah. kind of mapping out a song and seeing it kind of from a uh, kind of like a mental visionary point of view. Yeah. Like seeing the song at a distance and going like, okay, here's the arc of the song. Here's how many bars each section are. Here's kind of where the emotions coming from. So I kind of know where I'm gonna grow the dynamics and, and yeah, yeah. build it on the drums um i remember honing that craft because i used to play in in clubs on on drums where i'd be playing to a click track because we'd all we'd play to tracks and i could barely hear the band so i had to like really know th what the song was doing in order to play right. musically in that yeah. context because i was hearing a super loud click mm -hmm. and just bass rumble almost no vocals and i had to sort of imagine what the world was hearing yeah, crazy. and play musically yeah. that hell tone, that craft. But that's kind of the main way I do it and then usually at that point I like to, since, since a bridge in songwriting, you kind of want it to be a departure from the rest of the song. So yeah. sometimes I'll let, I'll record one, two, or three different versions of, of what the bridge might be and mm -hmm. let the drums kind of lead. Yeah. And often I'll improvise certain rhythmic things and let that fuel the songwriting that's going to occur later. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, that happens a lot with us. So yeah. I'll, I'll just play a groove in the bridge, and it's like, this bridge is going to be rooted on that beat. Yeah. Let's just do that. <laughs> <laughs> it know? helps, though, because bridges are always kind of difficult sometimes, because yeah. to make a really good bridge is not easy. People. Yeah, it helps to sort of change instruments for the bridge. Yeah. Like, if you're writing all day on guitar, go to the piano for the bridge, or yeah. let somebody else kind of lead the way, or if it's a collaboration. Sure, yeah. And then one of the other ways, drum-wise, that I'll do it is sometimes I'll just start with the drums. And just lay down a groove that that's inspiring, you know, in the same way that like a synth patch might be inspiring. Like, let the attitude of a groove lead me. Um, in one case, like a song on on my new record, that's a, a song that that I had half finished, where the, there was a full drum performance mm -hmm. with an unwritten song, and then I went back like two months later, pulled it up and got new inspiration. There's some there's a thing kind of going on in in my life right now that I was like, ooh this is going to be the, the foundation of that. Right. And so I, I went into it with that, with the drums and the simp this like piano chord sequence going and wrote a new chorus and, and built from there. And then like after a day and a half of honing the song in and producing it and I had done the vocal, I all of a sudden was like, oh, I don't know if I dig this. Right. And I was like kind of bummed because uh -huh. it was going in the right direction yeah. and then I just sort of woke up and in the middle of working on it went like eh, something's wrong mm -hmm. and I was bummed and I think I left the studio and came back and and then I was like okay something's wrong and it's not the song right and what I realized is that I muted the drums and listened to the song and I was like there's the song and I was like frick there you go the yeah. drums weren't actually the drums didn't inspire the song they sort of were a pushing off point from the song and yeah. they actually needed to go away in order to reveal what the song had become. Right, right. It's really weird. So That song's interesting, too, because, like, I think you probably already said this a second ago, but you wrote the chords and the drums and everything differently at a different time than you wrote the lyrics. Yeah. So it's different, different emotional feelings on both ends. It was. So something had to go. That's, that's pretty cool. I like that perspective of sometimes coming at a track without knowing what you were going to do with it initially. It was like you're almost top-lining your own song. Yeah, that's what it became. Because yeah. the early song was called God. And it was going to be, the concept was sort of trying to put yourself in, in a in God's perspective, like like how looking at how small our perspective is. And I very quickly realized that that's of course impossible, <laughs> and and slightly douchey to even <laughs> attempt it. Yeah. But at first, when I was like in the bubble of thinking of that song, it just yeah. felt like a like a really that's, interesting thing. Yeah, that's where you felt it. And it was more of just like a thought that's worth thinking than a. Then for me, a song that was sure. worth writing. Right, right. Just felt like, oh, the, you mean the impossible task of yeah, writing yeah. that song? <laughs> no. God's perspective. And I just sort of shut it down. And then when I came yeah. back to that part, it felt inspiring and stuff. And yeah. really, it was very much the drummer in me doing a performance without a song. Right. So what I ended up doing in the end is I muted the drums and I was like, oh, there's the song. And kept the piano. And from there, it was like instantly I knew that instead of the song being this this thing where it's really the drums are like owning a lot of the sonic space mm -hmm. it became the opposite where it was very tight and it was about the bass and the vocal and and i used the drums on just the end of the last chorus and the outro so mm -hmm. it almost like the song was building to the drums being part of the peak right so it ended up just inhabiting like 30 seconds of the song but that's cool though i used them but yeah so it's like a almost like an effect really. yeah it was almost like an effect and sort of this what started out as the foundation actually just ended up being like a couple shingles on the roof. Right. <laughs> and then, so that's one way that I do it. And then um, 
and Turn the Key, that was a song that, that's from my album Way Out, and that album is really, was a turning point in my creative process of really super from the inside and not from habits and really from accepting kind of what music was inside me that day and like trying to leave everything else out of it, get into the present moment. A lot of what we were talking about earlier. So a lot of that record came from trying to hear the music that was in my head and get it out. Mm -hmm. And Turn the Key was one of those things where I sat down at the piano and and sort of listened to what was in me, just like let something come out. Almost like a a version of the when psychologists use those um, ink blots. Yeah. There's a name for that test, mm -hmm. but they just show you an ink blot and mm -hmm. then you just blurt out a word. What do you see? Yeah. Yeah. For me, like that that album was like, Okay, here I am today, right now. What music is in my head? Yeah. And I'll just let that be my pushing off point. Yeah. And inevitably that's when a lot of those songs, the meaning of them I like realized what I was writing about halfway through. Right. Or or even sometimes later. Most of the songs on that record were like that because of that sort of inkblot style of just listening. I think um, it's kind of cool, though. I like that kind of writing, too. Yeah, it's very Where the, where the message gets brought to you after the fact. Yeah. Like, what was I talking about? You're really fishing in your subconscious. You're, yeah. like, dropping dropping your hook down into yeah. to an area of yourself that you're not seeing, and, and yeah. then you just like, oh, I got a bite. I don't know what fish this is. Yeah. And it re gets revealed to you. And in, so in that case... I let the song inspire the drums, and then the drums inspired the song, and it kind of went back and forth, because there's a lot of like adventurous drumming on that song, so it kind of played back and forth. The song was being written, I recorded the drums, the drums fueled the song, and then 16 and 21, that was a case of actually the drums, me using the drums almost like uh, building a collage from pre-existing drums and writing around them. Mm -hmm. And that was a case where it actually worked. Yeah. Whereas in this recent song, it, it didn't work, but it mm -hmm. was a springboard. And that song, uh, those that drum track came from something else that we didn't use, or okay. that, I did, that I didn't use. You know, I, I chopped it up and was just willing to let let it that part of the song be a collage. That's the great thing about you know the digital age is you can write yeah. like do sure. whatever you got to do to get yeah. it out. Just tools. Yeah, it's just tools. I believe in the seventies they would have done that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> it's just now you get people that you experience music that I think gets gratuitously edited where you can feel that the technology is sort of yeah. overly driving the content and sure. it feels a little empty or it's all in the eye of the beholder but I think it's way easier now to fake it oh, yeah. than obviously in the 70s so we had to sing every chorus yeah if you're going to use those tools you, I think there's a super big responsibility to use them in a way that's true like yeah. you're expressing your truth you're not just like taking the lazy way out and cut and pasting the chorus like you just yeah. said yeah like that to me is like if you want the choruses to truly sound exactly the same if that's what you want to say mm -hmm. by all means do it but taking that pause and going like all right is that a cutting a corner because it's so sure. easy to just chop chop yeah cut paste and i think there's the stuff that we're the most proud of that we've done together and certainly that I've done on my own has been when you're like, okay, if I want to cut that corner, that means I need to either take a break or come back to this song because right. like, it just means that there's some part of me that's losing energy or isn't inspired or... Right. But we've, you know, everybody's cut that corner. Oh, for but sure. it's always 
It also depends on the singer you're working with. That's if that sure. singer can barely sing that chorus and you got it, that's being cut and pasted everywhere. <laughs> the sad truth sometimes. That's the truth, man. Yeah. You gotta get paid. <laughs> like totally the antithesis of this whole conversation. No, but it's dude, I mean <laughs> sometimes you just gotta do what you, you gotta, gotta do. do what you gotta do. Yeah. But you have to go I mean, I think it's you're you're blowing it if you don't at least give yourself that like is it worth doing again? Well, you, you can see, always add new things to it too. If you have a chorus, you could embellish it somewhere. Or... Yeah, but you're—I mean—in the case that you're saying, which is very real, yeah. it's like you're being forced to deliver. Yeah, so your limitations like, are forcing you to deliver a certain thing. You're being pushed by your by the demands of your job to get it done. So, like, yeah. God knows that if you're if you're somebody who's like building a brick wall that's a hundred feet long, mm -hmm. if you could build fifty of it. And then cut and paste the second fifty, and not have to build that same wall <laughs> yeah. brick by brick. Yeah, you do it in a second. Yeah. So, unfortunately, when you're in the professional music business, sometimes you're forced to do that because of the limitation, time restraints, time restraints, whatever it is. Sometimes, a lot of times in writing sessions, yeah, you do that just as a way of getting through it. Yeah, because the artist can, or the person you're writing with can only be there for a certain amount of time, or even the artist. Yeah, and they don't want to sing a whole. But sometimes those demos end up being the record. Right. So you're kind of stuck with what you got. In some cases you are, in some cases you have to go like, all right, let's get back to make this real. Yeah, yeah, for sure, you can always change it. Depends on the band and the artist you're working with. Mm -hmm. And it depends on what layer of the production it is. Right. Are you cutting and pasting the drums? Are you cutting and pasting, you know, guitars? What are you, sure. what are you doing and how much does that part matter and how much life do you want in that? And like, right. In that song I was mentioning earlier, um, from here you're on your own is what it's called that song is built around just like a four on the floor kick because mm -hmm. I'd taken out the performance and after after I'd taken out the drum performance and just put it at the end and wrote the song and performed it all like I there was something dry about it like I was stoked that the song worked out so mm -hmm. like I was kind of like I'm done yeah yeah this is great but like, you weren't I wasn't I came back the next day and I'm like uh it's not done and I had to go through on the layer of of the rhythm track and like there was life missing down there and so I went in and did a performance of like some percussion stuff and even though it was like very subtle it like suddenly the song came alive in a certain way that it that it wasn't yeah it's almost like I had gone ex too extreme by muting the drums I needed to bring back some performance some life to it yeah, yeah. so it happens all sorts of ways that's a really really good question sometimes you need to be a purist sometimes you need to be a collage artist. Mm -hmm. It's just all about what your intent is. Okay, a few more quick questions before we are out of here. Chavez George, I think, is 702 from Instagram. Not sure if anyone has asked you yet, but what is your main inspiration when it comes to writing songs? This is from my, uh, I think, personal Instagram, but we'll both answer. Okay. I would say my main inspiration is the tension between thought and emotion. Like, to me... Those two things are chicken and the egg, what came first right. stuff. Like, do I feel something and think about it, or do I think something and feel about it? Or was it, is it just the chemicals in my body that day? And then how those two parts of, of the experience, the psychological and the, basically the two parts of the psychological, and then also, a lot of times, the spiritual. So that, that triangle of feeling, thought, and then spirituality. You throw something in the middle of that triangle, that mm -hmm. Bermuda triangle of sp yeah. spirituality, thought, and emotion, 
that's my main place. I mean, what, what would you say your main inspiration for music is? Kind Puck, of Puck as a solo artist. As I know a solo you're, artist? You're very much in like a... I'm impulsive, even as a solo artist. So if I'm impulsive, then I will, I'll go in the moment how I feel in that moment. Yeah. I'll just start whatever is inspiring me in that moment. Sometimes when you're like writing stuff for yourself, you really have to be in that very mind. That's cool. Because you can't really force that. It's so you're trying to like really about getting into the now, like you said earlier. Yeah, it's just like what's how am I feeling in this moment? What can I express? And then having a pro, having something to show for it, four hours or five hours later, or weeks later, depending on. It's your gratification. That's totally yeah. It's like you get this gratifying experience. Sometimes yeah. the experience is more gratifying than the financial reward. Sometimes you get no reward, except that you wrote the song. Yeah. But that's cool too. Like I made a whole solo album of guitar instrumental music that sold very few copies, if any. I mean, I don't know what it sold. 10 copies or something <laughs> who knows it doesn't matter it doesn't matter really but the, the the experience of doing it and I paid like a lot of money I hired like Simon Phillips and I hired all these like star musicians and people yeah, who that all I, was on that record Simon Phillips Simon Phillips Tony Levin was on it Pat Mostoletto from King Crimson was on it Rudy Sarzo from Quiet Riot and Ozzy you know what I tried to do is I Taylor was trying, Hawkins Taylor Nate Hawkins Wood. was on there Jimmy Chamberlain Nate Wood yeah a lot, I had a lot of great musicians on it but I was trying to like gather that album was a reflection on my on my influences in my past mm -hmm. I was looking backwards a little bit on that record and trying to come up with something that felt like that feeling you know that record's called Not From Here Not From Here yeah I wish I would have picked a different font for the record it's <laughs> got that lame font yeah. but you know whatever hey man I wasn't in a graphic design at the time <laughs> But the actual music on it, I'm proud of. It's like it definitely it took forever to make it because I was doing lots of different things at the same time. It's worth it, man. I mean, that it's gonna. It, it lives on. It lives on. You know, and the DVD was sort of a similar experience where I made this DVD where we had all these. I think I talked about it before in the podcast, but I don't think you did. Oh, maybe I haven't. Anyways, I made this DVD. I had this idea, and I met Don Lombardi at DW, and I said, "Wouldn't it be cool to have some of my favorite drummers?" On, on a DVD and then have them all play the same song and see their approach and then make them play other songs that I had written. He loved it because he didn't have to get copyright, you know, he didn't have to pay for copyrights or like, <laughs> had to license anything. But he, he also licensed, he liked the idea too. It wasn't just a business thing, but he loved, he goes, I'll tell you what, if you can get somebody on board of this crazy idea, then I'll, I'll fund it. So I called up a couple friends. I called Jimmy Chamberlain. He said, yeah. I called the people I knew I'd probably get yes right away. Uh -huh. So I called Jimmy first, and he was down. Jimmy's cool. He's always down to do stuff. Then I called Taylor. That's Jimmy's from Smashing Pumpkins, yeah, for those who from, don't know. Yeah. And then Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters. He was down. He was cool. Once I had them, then it was easier to get the rest. Because yep. I had two well-known drummers. And I got Simon Phillips. He was totally down. We had just played a gig together in Chicago, so like we had a good rapport. That gig's on YouTube, right? Yeah, with Jeff Berlin. That was a fun gig. So that we did that at uh, it was for a drum, another drum thing. Uh, Vic, what was his name? That ah, doesn't matter. Look it up on YouTube if you want. Yeah, to check Simon it. Phillips, Ken Arnold, and Jeff Berlin. Jeff Berlin. This is, you play a ripping solo on that. Oh, thanks. Um, and then you had Terry Bozio. Terry Bozio. That was a dream for me because I love Terry's approach on drums. Yeah. I like his artistic viewpoint on drums and I love the way he played with Frank Zappa so yeah, and Jeff Beck he's very compositional yeah he's just cool he's a cool guy too and so yeah. it was really fun to be with an artist drummer his artistry came shining through you know yeah. and he kind of had to play back to sort of normal drumming in a way not to say that he doesn't play normal drums but m mainly he does compositional drumming right so he kind of just went back to playing grooves and beats and stuff which was cool yeah and then uh, Gary Novak who was killer yeah so he was a great cast of musicians you know and that was another product that didn't like sell a lot but I'm really proud of the result mm -hmm. because it was unique that was unique 
There's nobody has done that yet. That was really cool to see. That was yeah. Thanks. I was. I'm really proud of that DVD. You can get it. It's, it's called Gannon Arnold Five World Class Drummers. But yeah, it's at I think Guitar Center and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool to see different guy. He played the song at different tempos and slightly mm-hmm. different feels. Changed them and, up. Yeah, everybody Some t- brought their thing to it. Taylor was a trio, and then I had with Jimmy Chamberlain, I brought in a keyboardist. I tried to make it interesting across the board, so it wasn't always the same kind of configuration. Yeah, I love that thing. Yeah, thanks. Check it out. So, to answer the question, your main inspiration is just going after whatever you want. You Whatever's like. in the moment, yeah. It's like, the moment is everything. If you And the same with writing with other people on collaboration. Don't be afraid to like be in the moment, and don't be afraid to voice your opinion and your and your feelings and your and your melodies. I think a lot of people get you get in the corner and they kind of just sit there and I don't do anything. Dude, it's like, yeah, don't be afraid. I mean, it's hard. Vulnerability is really when you're in. No matter what process you're in, whether it's collaboration or on your own, vulnerability is like a key factor in. I don't know, I think creating work of value. Yeah. And I think one of the hardest things to do in collaborations, especially if it's if it's with people you don't know very well, is to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like the the thing that that bums me out the most, which I've, we've all been there. If, if if you're if you're like a songwriter that's going around doing co-writes and stuff, is like, it's hard to be vulnerable, and you end up writing a song about a song about the idea of what a song should be about. Like right. you're like, let's write, let's write a love song about this, th-, and you, and you just immediately go are like fighting against cliches because mm-hmm. nobody really has to like. Nobody's face is going on this song. Yeah. Nobody has to like own up to these words you're saying. So mm-hmm. it's like you end up like, well, what would I say if I felt that way? Like, <laughs> right. It's all just like theoretical, like hypothetical land. Funny language. Yeah. Like, you write quirky a language. Yeah. And then you end up coming up with a song and you're like, I can't believe we came up with a song mm-hmm. that none of us were invested <laughs> in. <laughs> like, like it's, it's so much better when somebody in the room going through something yeah you like get onto something real and and get into a land of vulnerability and then everybody's in support of that or right. can connect to it in some way because i really believe your audience isn't going to connect unless you've connected unless you've is there some element of truth unless you've yeah unless you've truly emoted into what you're creating it's not going to cause emotion in somebody else right in any real way i don't think right i mean that you could refute that but I think the most powerful music is real music. Like For sure. I mean, the stuff that tends to be oops, plastic only has a shelf life of a very short period of time. Yeah. Like, if you want to be my lover, <laughs> you know, good example. It's like, it was a huge hit, but it had a really fast shelf life, and nobody wants to hear that song ever again, <laughs> you know? But a song like Hello or something like that that has a little bit more depth, a little more meaning, can go on forever. And there's pop songs that do that too. There's some good ones like Latch by Disclosure is very good. There's some good stuff out there that has some feeling and, and real emotion to it. Yeah. I feel like right now it's cool and in, in, I hate to use the word trend, but music is shifting into like an R&B place a little bit. So the emotion, you're feeling more emotive kind of like melodies and not so like manufactured. There's a lot more kind of people just singing and feeling yeah. things you know things are cycling so fast because of the internet that yeah there's no one thing but you can't like, i feel that a little bit i think people are finding out that if you chase something that's on your charts now it takes months to get to the charts and by then what's popular like the sound and style of what's popular has already changed so it's it becomes this impossible task and people are just like i think they're forced to take risks and take chances and mm-hmm. you're starting to see that manifest on the charts like there's yeah. 
be it's eccentric, a, you know. Try yeah. things, and if you're going to do program music, be eccentric. Try things that are outside and kind of weird, because I think that stuff stands out. If there's some weirdness in your track, not to say deliberate weirdness, but don't be afraid to do something interesting. Just follow your yeah, instincts, yeah. Because yeah. if you follow what you love, regardless of whether or not it's popular now, you might be the one that defines the future of pop music. Totally. Or 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 not. Yeah. But whatever it is, if you if at least you, you're doing your thing. At least you're doing your thing. Yeah. I mean, the 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 whole idea of being original right now is really important. I mean, in every idiom doesn't matter what you're in if you're playing jazz you got to be original because there's already somebody doing the thing that you want to be faking yeah you know there's already a great guitar player that plays like your favorite guy you know it's him so don't don't be him again yep it's just i mean the it's okay to listen the, to the distance stuff. between what you're looking for and getting what you're looking for mm -hmm. is like there's almost no distance mm -hmm. like you can you can google you know People can find the, uh, the the real version just as quickly as the fake version. <laughs> right. The fake version has no value. Yeah, it's totally true, man. Or very little value. I mean, there's if you're gonna do a cover, you know, do the cover your way. Yeah. Um, Those ones always stand out. Anyway. Write your own song. You know, like it's like, but there's if you if you're driven to do a cover, it's like really give it Twist what it. you have to give. You know, like be a performance artist in that case. Do it. Do it your way. Do it your way. So we had cool, we, man. we had two more quick questions okay. that'll be answered at the speed of light. All right. Because I'm not sure uh, they're really deep. They're so deep. one was um, my computer actually just died, so it's. But I remember the question, but I don't remember what the name of the person was. So sorry about that. But it was what is Colton Dixon's favorite drink? <laughs> I don't actually know what he. I likes. do know that he's got a major sweet tooth. Yeah, so yeah. if you just took water and poured sugar in it, <laughs> he might, Mountain Dew maybe? He might be cool. Ma he, yeah. He had his uh, face on Mountain Dew. That's true. So yeah. I think he likes Mountain Dew. Sugary drinks. Yeah. Who doesn't? I don't, I don't even know why we're answering that question. That's a good question. Why not? So, and then the other one, even more legit, What's was here? how do you make a, a good cup of pressed coffee? I don't know. You, you're the man of pressed coffee. I asked for it because I said, like, ask any question, yeah. anything. So uh, we're being trolled a little bit on that one, but... <laughs> I'm gonna answer it anyway. First, you use Storyville coffee because it's the best coffee on the planet that I drink Not every Starbucks. day. <laughs> Shout out to Storyville. <laughs> Thanks for all the people that check in and watch us. Really appreciate it. And we'll be doing a new one next week. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye, guys. Broke City out. Out. Broke City out. Out.